Harry Talks. <laughs> Welcome back. That was a fast intro. Um, man, what a, what a fun episode it is to have after a couple serious ones. Not serious in a bad way, and this conversation is still going to be serious, but I think it might not be as formal as the ones we've had recently, um, just because of my obvious personal relationship with this person. But yeah, and we've gone full circle. I think this is the second or third it was definitely one of the first podcasts I actually recorded, but I think it was the second or third podcast that actually come out. And I've always wanted to do repeat guests because so much changes in like two years, even from like my perspective on things. And this is actually her third time, third time hopping on Parry Talks. <laughs> That's a record. Actually, that is not a record. You're equal with Connor from Triple One, Obi, yes. but you know, we can take Tom. him on. <laughs> um, Caitlin Medcalf. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm currently self-isolating. Dude. We're doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a chance that we're doing our first COVID positive episode, but you'll see more of that on Caitlin Medcalf's social soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if I get COVID, I'll definitely vlog it. I think it's <laughs> worth the people need to know what it's like, but I feel like this. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like there's an important, almost like informational side that could come out of that. Because I feel like people think COVID's so distant, you know. So if someone you knew got it, and like I'm not wishing you get it at all because it's a horrible <laughs> thing. Um, but if someone you knew got it and then reported on it being like, hey, I'm half backs and it probably helped, and this is what I felt, and this is what it was like, and this is who calls you. I mean, that there's probably a lot of value in vlogging it. Definitely. I mean, like, even just so for context, my co-worker um, who I've worked with the last two days, his housemate tested positive. Um, and yeah, even just like asking him like what the process was, because I actually have no idea what happens when someone close to you tests positive. So you're saying that like they've had doctors coming in, they've got to self-isolate for two weeks. Um, still don't really know what we have to do. We've just got tested. But yeah, I'm interested to know what the process is, because like you said, like, people don't actually really see what happens when you get COVID because I think we've been lucky enough here for the numbers to be like pretty low in comparison to like our population. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll all eventually get it. It's just like, mm. do you want to get it fully vaxxed or do you want to get it not vaxxed? And it's like, it's pretty simple. Exactly. I, I actually have family on my mom's side that they don't believe in it. They, they think it doesn't exist and they say they'll believe it when they get it. I'm like, are you actually are you for real that's imagine saying that to someone who's had a family member die of covid like that's so insulting yeah even just like i think the main thing it'll be uh, is like can and not to make this a political conversation about covid <laughs> it's like if the hospitalization rates aren't at a point where they're over flooding the like health system which is a problem right now then like you know there's a balance there of like we know people are going to get sick, but they're not going to get that sick because it's just like another cold because they're vaccinated. So like people just don't understand that. Like it makes so much sense. People are like, nah, I'm just going to get it and fight it because I'm strong and I take vitamin C. Yeah, literally. And then those are the people that become a statistic at like 25. Yeah. You know, it's pretty sad. <laughs> vitamin C. <laughs> I'll just drink a shit ton of orange juice. It's like, well, at least you won't get scurvy, but you might get COVID. And not to go into too much detail or say anything too explicit, but like the amount of times I've used orange juice is just like the remedy for my life. It's, like... <laughs> it's so true. You know what? I feel like once you get older, you graduate from orange juice to armor force. I don't know if you've ever, it's like a, it's like a vitamin tablet that just has all like a doctor's recommended. It. It's like a vitamin tablet that has everything that's supposed to like boost your immune system. So mm. that's. That's my excuse now when I get sick. I'm like, oh, I'll take some armor force. So I'll be fine. Is that a regular thing for you or is that a post-partying thing for you? It's mostly just a sick thing. I honestly, oh. I, I don't know about you, but I haven't been sick for like two years. I think I got sick maybe last year for like a few days, but that was about it. I've had colds, but I haven't had anything that's knocked me. Yeah. The worst I felt was after that first AstraZeneca shot. Yeah. Oh, how did you <laughs> react to it? I wasn't I mean, as bad. I wasn't as bad as other people. Like my brother and Katie my partner were like out for the count. Like I didn't, I didn't get any like communication from Katie for like 18 hours. Like, oh. just, like 
<laughs> but then, but then, like, woke up and then sent me a picture of her eating dinner, and I was like, okay, it was sweet, she's alive. <laughs> and my brother was just like a sorry mess in bed, like the next day. But then I just woke up feeling really like it almost felt exactly like a really bad hangover. Yeah. And then by midday, like I worked that day, like I did the new music Friday playlist that day. Um, but yeah, by midday I was sweet. But that's like the worst I've felt, I think. That's good. The quick bounce back, I think, is important. Yeah. What about you? We like Wiley and I were both fine. He, I don't think, had any symptoms. I mean, we got vaccinated at like 2 p.m. And then the next day I went to work at seven. And I was like fine up until about 11 and I just hit a wall. Like I felt like I'd got maybe two hours sleep and that was about it. I just felt tired for the rest of the day. Went yeah. came home and had a nap and I was sweet after that. But it's such a fun feeling, I think. Yeah. I don't know why, I, know. I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah, especially like that that kind of unknowing feeling of being like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to feel. That's what, it, that's what I was like yeah. with my second vax. It was like, ooh, keen to maybe take a day off work, keen to yeah. feel freedom sickness, and then nothing <laughs> happened. Like I felt oh. fine for the second one. I was like, damn, that's all sort of a letdown. Yeah, anticlimactic. Yeah. But h- how have you felt generally? <laughs> this is like my first prepared question, and I don't know how long we've been talking for. Yeah. How have you feeling just like the past couple of months, just generally as a scene member? I feel like last lockdown, like the first like initial, oh my God, the world is ending, was so much more like positive and uniting and like people were finding new ways to do things and it was super energetic and crazy. But I feel like this lockdown, people's energy levels are just like so low. So how have you just felt, you know, being a member of a community? I think it's it's been so interesting because I've definitely felt that, you know, I think this time around people are just sick of it. We've, I don't think we really thought this was going to happen again. So I think for the most part, like I had a really, I think the first six weeks, I just felt generally pretty, you know, mer- didn't touch Ableton, didn't really like, I honestly have not really been listening to much music even in the last month or two. Um, but I had a bunch of mixes to do at the start, which like kind of kept me going because I had a lot of music that I was like, stocking up ready to play out but obviously none of that happened but yeah I don't know just the hardest thing I think has been like rewiring myself to feel motivated and also just trying to reconnect with people because I I feel like I'm definitely quick to cut myself off when the lockdowns start to happen and I've realized recently that that's the thing that I think everyone kind of goes through at some point in the lockdown so yeah I don't know I think I I feel more, more nervous now than anything because I feel like I've been away from the community for so long. I still wonder where I might fit into that community when things kind of resume. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I've, I always feel like, and I think this is a weird thing, but I feel like in the past two years and like naturally with everyone, like so much changes in two years in terms of like friendships and like what you see of the world. And that can still sort of be established in your connections, like, like with your friendships or with the music you like or anything like that, but that hasn't been manifested properly in real life. Like I felt like, because I sort of made a new group of friends, I felt like I've only properly experienced that group of friends in like a real way for that like three-month period in between the like the first initial craze and then this one now. And it's so weird to be like, where do I even sit like in terms of just socially or like, like, where are my social skills at even? Like, am I going to be comfortable going back out? It's There's so much to think about. It's so intense. People don't give that enough credit, I think. Definitely. I think I think there's a lot of intensity that, you know, obviously being part of a community is great, but I definitely feel like there are also, like, some burdens, I think, that come with the community, like, in terms of feeling like you have to participate and, like, constantly be on. And, like, I definitely feel like I'm an introverted person when it comes to I guess general life so yeah it's it's I think I struggle to really keep up with the social aspect of a lot of community driven things but yeah I don't know I'm interested to see I feel the same I had like started making friends with a new group of friends in that three-month period now and then now I'm like oh okay like I know I feel like once things go back to normal we can all hang out again it'll be fine but it's just like I think the older you get the more you realize it actually is really hard to make friends and like good meaningful friendships as well and so yeah. that's that's been something I've been trying to seek out but it's been so hard with this like constant interruption definitely but I don't yeah. know do you see it as like do you see it as inter- internally whether just personally or with music or whatever do you see it as these two years 
are just like a pause and we restart. Obviously, a lot's gone on for you personally in that time for your career. But I'm just saying generally as a person, um, do you see it as like a pause where it's like, okay, now we restart and you don't put too much pressure on yourself of what you've achieved for these two years? Or do you think you'll reflect back on yourself like critically or harshly during this time? I think it's a bit hard to not like reflect on. I think the most thing is like how you've used this time. Because I think, I think like, I don't feel like this has been a pause at all. I think um, if anything, uh, the whole industry has, you know, been forced to adapt and transform. And there's been lots of people leaving the industry because they've been forced to. So I think once things resume, like, it's not really a pause because a lot of things are going to have changed. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, like, it's still not going to be able to be business as usual for quite a while purely because I think travel is still going to be so largely restricted in the country. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've definitely felt the harshness in terms of like, I think I could have been using this time a lot better, but at the same time, like as I've been shifting from DJ to like producer, like how can you be expected to feel inspired by much in this time? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I've kind of found it hard to force myself to sit down and make things when I don't really feel like I have anything to make you know what I mean yeah and it's like the question of like make things for what yeah totally and that's the thing like I I don't like to be that person that's like oh I I don't know I think I am definitely I work better when I have a deadline or I have a goal in mind and it's kind of hard when there's not really anything to work towards right now yeah and I know a lot of other people think very differently to me and they would say oh that's kind of like well you're just making music to fit in somewhere but I don't know. I just, I've always been like that working towards a deadline. And if I don't have that, then I don't really feel like I can apply myself to something. Yeah. And you also don't want anything to get lost in like the, the crazy amount of news coming out right now, like whether in music, but like people are just like so exhausted by culture that then when they want to dive into this niche, niche subculture of electronic dance music, that (laughs) 3000 people interested in the entire globe. It's like, I'm too exhausted to even start worrying about that stuff. See, like Definitely. even I've been thinking about that with my stuff as well. It's just like, how much do people care about, you know, eight tie-dyed printed t-shirts or, <laughs> you know, Parry Talks key rings? And it's like, there's only one way to find out, I guess. So I'm just trying to keep doing. That's the thing. I think you need to like consider it as well, not as just something that serves your community, but I think as something that serves you as a creative as well. Because I think if I didn't have an outlet to you know I've I've been DJing a little bit in this time but not really as much as I nowhere near as much as I was before but I think if I didn't have like making music or like creating you know being able to create something I'd feel so much more flat yeah I I guess yeah sorry after you no I was just gonna say like I think having that outlet that is that simultaneously serves your community but also like fulfills that creativity within yourself I think that's the most wholesome thing that you could ever have right definitely and I think this is like less of a COVID yarn and more of a, just a general thing yarn. And uh, it's like, we're not saying community to tiptoe around something. Like we're talking about pretty much Sydney dance music. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's when I say community, yeah. that's what I mean. I don't right? want people to think we're like tiptoeing around this like beast that no one's allowed to talk <laughs> about. Like other people in the music industry that people like the Voldemort's of the music industry, if you know well, what I mean. It's quite a few of them. <laughs> um, but I think that's the thing. It's like whenever someone becomes involved in like these super niche things, it's always like the balance of A, I need to make money. Yeah. B, I need to be a bit selfish in what I'm doing so that I'm having a good time. But then C, and because it's so people focused, it's like I need to be serving. Like I feel like I need to be serving something. I need to be doing this for someone else and for us. And that collective us, I think, is sometimes what gets so many people drained by music industries oh definitely yeah being there (laughs) and just like you sacrifice so much for the collective ass it's like what what am I anymore I feel like so many people hit that wall I I think so too and I've definitely been there in terms of hitting that wall and I think I I don't know if this is like a selfish thing that I've done but I've definitely stepped away from a lot of community focused stuff for a while purely because I hit that wall and like and it's exhausting, you know, getting to that point where you kind of realize that I'm trying to put this community above my own needs. And like, at the end of the day, you want to be putting your community first, but you also, I think you need to be doing it in a way that's healthy and addresses your needs as well. Definitely. Yeah. 
and it's hard not, to find that balance. I think. Yeah, it's it's impossible to. Yeah. Because people are held to such a high standard. And if you look at the leaders in the scene, they've sacrificed so much. And like yeah. it needs to be said that they are like incredible human beings to not have just been like, I'm over this, I'm moving to London. And oh, it's, it's, lived yeah. a chill life there and played across Europe. But like they've for some reason decided to, you know, be the strongest human beings ever and like commit their after hours, their late nights on Sundays to like throwing parties for 200 people. And there's something so special in that as well, which is also what makes the dance community so special is because there are people that have just dedicated their lives to like giving back and letting people have a good time. Yeah. It's crazy. Totally. It's not self-serving at all. And that's what I think I love the most about this community. It's that like, you know, regardless of how you're feeling, if you're feeling like anxious, happy, negative, like you come into this space and I feel like just that, that, knowing that it's something that's not for a selfish purpose it's something for your community you walk in and you can almost feel that lifting off yourself but you can yeah yeah and you can get the rare space yeah but you can I think that's what makes and there's always been this sort of divide in dance music especially underground dance music in Sydney where it's like you can tell by the artwork you can tell by the lineups the music might be so similar but there's definitely a different energy when you know the promoter is doing this for a right reason versus a wrong reason. And you just know every time you walk straight into a party and I'm not going to name names on who's on each side, but you know, like, and like the people listening right now will know exactly what I'm talking about yeah. is you can feel the aura in a party based on the intentions of the party, which I think is super interesting and super true as well for me. Anyway. It is true. Yeah, and I think especially in the last two years, like, I think that distinction has become more clear, you know, because I think I'd like to think that the people that have stuck around, I mean, I think it's a privilege and also an accessibility thing to have been able to stick around. But I think, yeah, the, the, it's just interesting to see the people that have stuck around. I really feel like they they care the most. But then you see those people versus the people that may not have the best intentions and it's such a stark difference. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's weird. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, I'll say this now, cause I don't think I've given them any props on the podcast. Like the fruit bowl emergence in, mm. in Sydney was like so special. It's like, what the hell? Like Dan's just like being like, you know what? I'm just going to throw cool parties for you guys. And it's like, and they're so wholesome. So happy. All the lineups are great. It's like, Oh, this is what this is. Okay. This is giving me some confidence. I feel like that's what it did for me. Yeah. But, cause, cause he's, I think he's just showing how it's done. Right. Like you, you need to go into something with, I think he's definitely gone into something with the community at the forefront. Like I think the most wholesome thing I've seen in this whole lockdown has been him hand delivering focaccia to everyone's doors. Like that was so cute. Damn. I love that so much. I bought so much. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, what was your, uh, I don't want to make this a full COVID yarn. So, so this will be the last COVID talk before we talk about everything that's up until this point. Yeah. What do you, what do you think the climate will be after this? Do you think the energy will be re- redirected heavily to events or do you think events will be slow to open back up like I don't know what do you think that energy and aura is going to be like after reopening I think the benefit of being in like a small community is that we are, we don't need like big venues to reopen to fully f- to start functioning again I think it's going to be it's going to take like you know um, the government saying oh you can have a 200 packs venue operating fully for you know Sydney to be green light again yeah um which I think is is a good start. Um, but I don't know. I'm interested to see just because obviously it's going to be really hard to book internationally for a while. Um, I'm, I think we're at a really crucial point where I really think promoters don't really have much of a choice but to look to the underground and actually start booking those acts in place of international acts. And I don't, I don't know. I still keep coming back to this thing in my mind. I know we said we weren't going to talk about this, but the whole Triple J thing, um it's just I I can't really help but feel like when things open back up again that what's going on there is going to really dictate how the Australian market operates and I don't know if I feel comfortable with that but I think that's the reality that we're really going to face I said I said no I said like I'm happy to talk about it but you're yeah yeah you brought it up then now I know it's going like but my thing is and this isn't triple j bashing my thing is and not so much in dance music but I think in hip-hop right now in R&B is that 
Um, so the old Triple J market was inner city, um, like rural, like high populated rural areas. So like non like Central Coast, Newcastle, Sunshine Coast, like those sort of areas, like yeah. super white areas, effectively, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and when they serve those markets, it's like everyone outside of those markets is detached from Australian music by default because yeah. of how much power they have. And when they're serving those markets, there's no representation. There's no like looking from a, someone from Western Sydney being like, I'm going to listen to Triple J because that's not their world just from a cultural point of view. Cause it's, it's a tale of two cities pretty much. And I think with like, and I tweet this all the time with like Australian drill that changed everything where it's mm-hmm. like, now I think executives and stuff are seeing like, wait, there's markets outside of the ones we've been serving already. And they're also the most highly populated areas in our cities. And like most of Australia isn't white. And yeah, I think that true. that has changed everything. Like the fact that me, if you told me three or four years ago that you'd be running like a 50% Sydney music blog, I'd tell you to get stuffed because like I hated what Australian music was because I saw none of me in it. Yeah. Because of the narrative that was getting pushed of what Australian music was. But I think it's changed so much on that front. But not to say that Triple J is doing the right thing to say that the internet has changed everything. Where definitely there's good Australian music coming out that and international music coming out that's getting its light of day in Australia without that medium, which is like so exciting for me. Yeah, definitely. And I think the silver lining to this whole like, lockdown situation for the last two years has been that you know we've all primarily been communicating through the internet so I think we've been really forced to sit down and like reconnect with I I guess like rejig the ways that we look for new music um, and the ways that we engage with certain communities so I think it has been like a really fruitful time for you know particular like non-white artists I think because now it's it's like finally you know there's the Australian music market is acknowledging that it's not just rich and white and it's more complex than that. So I'm interested to see where it heads in the next five years. I think the Mm. onus now is going to be on promoters to follow through with, you know, the changes that are happening. Because like writing for music feeds, you know, I get to write up a lot of um, festival announcements and that kind of thing. And I still see a lot of the same artists being crossed over for the, you know, very similar festivals and a lot of them are white, a lot of them are popular, a lot of them have a lot of reach. And, like, I get that. At the end of the day, your event, you want it to be profitable because you're a business. But I think a lot of promoters don't take into account that they actually have a lot more power. And, yeah, i just like to see more of that being acknowledged. Definitely. And I think I'll, I always think about this. This is, this is what Parry thinks about, guys. Yeah. It's like if it wasn't for COVID... Like, where would one four sit on the lineup? Like, they'd almost headline field day. Yeah, totally. And like, and, like, I think of that and I'm like, that's just ridiculous to me. Like, an Australian artist that makes that sort of music is competing with international hip-hop acts thanks to, like, good music videos on YouTube. And it's just, like, and then telling a real Australian story. And you look at, like, the B-Wise album, that's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Uh, not weird sorry it's really it's really like just exciting and like unexpected I think I think so too I think that's been yeah like I said the unexpected silver lining of this whole pandemic is just people rejigging the ways that they connect with one another and also rethinking the ways that they connect with music and you know changing the ways that they engage with culture um but yeah it's also been interesting to see how like publications have shifted their um interactions with their communities in order to better serve you know that change from you know IRL to online and I've really loved what you've been doing with purple sneakers as well I think like your engagement with the community shows how aware you are of like your audience which so many publications I think get wrong yeah I think two things on the sneakers thing one I'm lazy and if someone else (laughs) can help me write an article then that's it. like that Donda one. I was like, yeah. I know exactly what my feelings are. I could so easily just write this, but I'm too lazy to, you know, let's just get the fan. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think the thing is what I've been thinking about on sneakers is do I put, um, this might be too boring for people, but you're going to have to sit there and listen to it. It's like, <laughs> do I put race quotas on the playlist and on the coverage? And I thought, no, I'm just going to cover what I like for like the first three weeks 
or the first two months or whatever, and then look back and see if that's right or wrong in terms of representation. And I was just like, my identity is shining through so much that it's become so diverse in race, especially like recently, not to slander anyone else that's done work on the publication in the past, but so many blogs are so white at the moment. And just generally, yeah. it's like, it says so much about who's running them, I think. Even like, and I'm, I'm white as it gets really, but I think even just like that little bit of immigrant in me is like, not little bit <laughs> immigrant in me is like, nah. I, like it, it's automatically biased me. And I think as more people in like our sort of shoes in terms of our backgrounds get in more positions of power, it'll help accelerate what's already being done. Definitely, because it doesn't, it, it becomes something that you have to think less about. It becomes more ingrained in the culture of the publication. And 100%. so that, and that, that, all the radio station, all the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that leaves you more room to think about other aspects of your publication that, you know, might be lacking in certain areas or like you might try out new content that you want to try out instead of having to like focus all of your attention on like, oh, we've got to be diverse. We've got to be diverse. Yeah. That's something that is just inherent in its identity. Like that, I think it's so rare to see, especially in a country as multicultural as this one. Exactly. That's the thing that wigs me out. Yeah, right? It's like we are like the most multicultural country and the lineups are like 90% white and like that's just not representative of Australia. And I think as well, even just like, sorry to go on another little... No, 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 I like it. (laughs) I'm in no rush. (laughs) But even just like... Um, I remember when I was editing and like looking through my inbox, like just seeing the kinds of artists that publicists would represent, like I'd say like 90% of them were white easily. So like as an editor, you're getting fed all this constant information about people that you're probably, you know, you're less interested in covering, not because of their identity, but just purely because. It's probably the same. Yeah. It's like really like what, what is it offering? I don't know. It's not really offering much in terms of, you know, interesting storytelling or like I don't know it's just it gets tiring after a while and I think I'll put a full stop on this tangent by saying something only me and you might understand is that you can and you'll know exactly who I'm talking about here but I'm not going to name them but the publicists with the diverse backgrounds and the ones that are in touch with their culture always pitch the best stories for some yes. reason and you know it's exactly true. what I'm talking about I know who, who and what yeah it's so true and it you're is. more inclined to believe, like, listen to them and go with them. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, but man, let's take it all the way back to our last chat. It's, we've gone full circle because you were doing Pebble Sneakers then, and then you hung the boots up, and now you're owning it in your own world. And then now I'm back. I'm doing the Pebble Sneakers thing, which is such a, like a mind. Because <laughs> I remember telling you after that conversation that if someone offered me a job to be a music journalist, I wouldn't do it. And yeah. now it's the craziest thing. But um, when did you know it was over for you covering music and like being an editor on sneakers? I think when it got to the point where I couldn't separate my life from my work, if that makes sense. Like I, for context, like I'd cut down so much of my outside work. Like I was really only DJing and I honestly wasn't DJing. I wasn't DJing nowhere near as much as I was now or before this, but I was DJing way less. I had cut my cafe job down to one day a week and I was paying like $290 a week in rent, which is so dumb. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I, it, it kind of got to a point where I couldn't really sacrifice much more of my life in order to do this. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, I can't just leave any longer. I need to make a change. And that was the thing that I had to change. Yeah. Was it like a like almost like what we were saying before, was it like a muddle, muddling of your identity where it's like, am I Caitlin Medcalf or am I Purple Sneakers? Did you have that thought? Yeah, and I did for so long afterwards too because I think after I hung up the boots, like I couldn't shake the feeling that I'd failed for so long. And I think I thought that because I'd put so much of my identity into that. And so I felt like it was a reflection of me and I felt like I'd let my, not only let, you know, the community down, but I'd let myself down and I'd let Martin down as well, which was like, really hard to bear but yeah I'm I mean I'm good now but yeah it was just <laughs> I told was you we'd a, get heavy yeah no it's it was a weird time but yeah I think it was really hard to separate I I don't know I, I feel like you don't really understand how much of yourself you've put into something until you're forced to step away from it and reflect on it and yeah. I don't know if that's like a caution to anyone but <laughs> <laughs> but caution to me the man yeah. you're talking to <laughs> 
Um, but I don't know. I just didn't really take stock of the situation until it was a bit too late. Yeah. And sorry to keep diving into this, but like straight no. after that, you know, those next couple of months, um, you just, what was your attitude generally to like music and the music industry? Just like, where was your brain at? I think it's been really hard because I don't really have a fallback career. Like I, I studied art knowing that I wanted to be in music somehow and I never really thought of anything else. So for me, I was kind of like, oh, this part of my life is over. Click, I need to find a job. I need to find a job. And I just, I don't know if I was being really picky or if I, there were just not really many jobs around at the time, but I just couldn't really find anything. And that panicked me a little bit. Yeah. So I think that really, those next couple of months, I really had to like sit down and think, okay, what is it that you actually want? What is it that you actually want to do? And also what kind of valuable contribution can you make to this community? Because I don't want to just like jump into a job and just do that job forever. I want to actually do something that, you know, might be meaningful or might actually help someone else in some way. Yeah. You know? And that's what I liked about this job. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I think, do you think that, and this is fast forwarding and we'll, we'll dive back into the narrative stuff. Do you think that you're getting that same feeling again now? It's almost like the same urge and the same, not, I don't want to say addiction, but that same thing that you're latching onto with producing and DJing now that was with that previous job. Like it's almost like the same thing that's drawing you back, but probably in a more healthy way. I think it's hard to compare the two because I think working for the publication, I definitely felt really responsible for representing the community. Right. And I feel like now my work as a DJ and a producer is entirely selfish. It's entirely, I, I, I don't know. Like I've, I've found it really hard to like try and find a way in which I'm contributing to a community when I'm literally just, I want to make this my job. That's at the yeah. end of the day, I want to produce, I want to DJ, I want to be able to live off that. Um, and sue me if that's like a bad yeah. thing to say, but but, yeah but I don't know I've also throughout this lockdown been thinking about ways that I can re-engage with the community and like I obviously want to like throw parties again and I've been thinking about doing a mixed series but I also don't want to just do another mixed series where everyone contributes for free I want to actually pay people so just I don't know like I think this is the age-old tale how do you monetize anything anymore but yeah I don't know I think diving into DJing and producing I've definitely felt the absence of contributing to the community yeah but yeah I don't know now I think my next challenge is how can I find a way to re-engage do you think that that challenge is something natural and deep inside you that you can't stop or do you think it's almost like a strategic marketing thing I don't think it's a marketing thing at all. I think that's <laughs> I <hope> so harsh. <laughs> no, no, but like I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. I don't know. I think I've been in music since, you know, I started writing for Purple Sneakers when I was 17 and I'm 26 now. It's been a big, it's been pretty much the only constant in my adult life. Um, I don't know. I couldn't really see myself doing anything else. So I think, yeah, maybe it's just me trying to get back to that feeling. Maybe that's selfish. I don't know. I did, yeah. Maybe you're being. No, I'm not going to go there. What What do you think re-sparked it after that little lull? Was it the pure thing of producing again or just like what got you out of that, do you think? Um, that's really hard because I still really don't feel like I'm that good at producing. <laughs> it's but, really hard. <laughs> but I think going from, uh, let's talk about going from, oh, shit, I need a job. What do I do with my life? Yeah. Like maybe that's overstating, but yeah to hang on, I'm going to be a DJ and producer. What happened between those two things? Like what pushed yeah. you towards that? I think, so when I was, when I started editing, Martin sat me down and like really talked me through like freelancing as like a career, uh, like pathway, I guess. And, you know, taught me a lot about how he freelances and like how to like fund yourself basically and like all that kind of thing. And I think once I got a taste of freelancing, I realized that this is actually the this this kind of um style of work really suits me in my lifestyle so I think that's I went into that next phase being like okay I know that I want to freelance because I really like the way this suits my lifestyle what can I do and so I think I was really lucky I got the opportunity with music feeds I got the opportunity with NLV records to write with them as well um so yeah I think in my in the back of my mind I've just been like I don't really I just want to pick up other jobs as long as I can still freelance um And that's, yeah, that's really kept me going because I don't know, I'm, you know, if I have to work a 60 hour working week, I'll work a 60 hour working week. That's just what that week does. 
you know, that's, that's what that week will be. And then, you know, the next week I might only have 20 hours. That's just what it is. Yeah. But um, yeah. And then was producing always the goal? Like, like throughout, like from when you first started, not maybe, not when you first started DJing, but was producing always in the back of your mind as a DJ and then it just manifests itself now? I think it was a natural progression. Um, I think, I don't know, I've, I kind of came to the realisation that like there are really only a handful of DJs that somehow, you know, make it big enough as just DJs and that's it. And I really felt like producing was, I was going to hit a ceiling in terms of DJing and I was going to have to produce if I wanted to keep the ball rolling as a natural progression of things. But I actually really enjoy it. I'm, I think at heart I'm a very logical person and a lot of, you know, production is quite logical. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, it's been a natural progression. And it's also been kind of tough teaching myself, but it's been also very rewarding. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's either you run a record, like a really good record label as a DJ yeah. and you like seen as this like all empowering, all being tastemaker, that taste is just like supreme to everybody else's. Yeah. Or you're a good producer. I think that's the two ways that people really just go ham. And if, yeah, you've got all, if you've got all three, then you're unstoppable. Like if you look at the people that have all three, it's like they're, yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And like I'd like to, you know, I love music, but I'm not I'm not like a rec- avid record collector or someone who spends all day digging for new music. Like I go through phases where I do, but I just am not that obsessive about it. Yeah. Do you feel like? how much do you think of that is like radio fatigue and like editorial fatigue in terms of just like I just don't I can't I don't have the time (laughs) to like deal with listening to music seven days a week anymore it's so true I think that really burned me out because yeah you like you get sent you know you might get sent 100 things in a day only have time to listen to 50 of them and you might only vibe with like one or two of them and so yeah it is so easy to get like burnout and fatigue but at the same time like I'm I think I'm really good now at picking what I like. I think from that, you know, maybe I think that kind of comes back to like a bit of my identity absorbing into the Purple Sneakers identity or the radio show identity. But I think now that I I think I'm better at like sorting through tracks quicker and listening to something and being like, okay, I like that. Or no, I don't like that. And just being able to move through it quicker. Yeah. Mm. Do you think, do you think, and this is like maybe a tough question, do you think that you would be where you are now as a producer if it wasn't for the pandemic? I'm going to say no, to be honest. It's really like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've gone through a lot of personal growth during this pandemic, you know, in terms of, um, I don't know, just letting go of a lot of anxieties and a lot of things that I had in the back of my head about, you know, my career or like the ways that I interact with people and the relationships that I have. And I really think, yeah, it's been a very transformative time aside from, I mean, it's obviously been a really sad and heavy time, but yeah, I think it's been really transformative in terms of like, I've spent a lot of time by myself and I've spent a lot of time thinking and maybe going back to old albums that I haven't listened to since I was like 15 and just, yeah, I don't know. I've worked through a lot of like personal trauma as well during this time. So yeah, I think I, when I first started producing, maybe like, two or three years ago I really suffered from a lot of self-confidence issues and I mean Wiley can attest to this but I just yeah I'd make a lot of excuses for myself you know would sit down for like an hour rage quit but now I think I'm at the point where I'm comfortable enough to like you know I can finish a song now like that it's taken me quite a lot of blood sweat and tears in in my own head anyway to get here but yeah I'm I'm glad with where I'm at literal blood (laughs) Ableton (laughs) Ableton's shanking you through the um I feel like that's almost a good thing though right like the fact that you've gone through a tough period of like not being able to not not I don't for lack of a very sweet not being able to do it and then like it's the benefit of learning the hard way is what I'm trying to say oh definitely Yeah. yeah And, like, I'm grateful to you for, you know, pushing me to release something at the start of the year because I think if I hadn't released that, I'd probably still be in that headspace. Yeah. Like, I really I really feel like finishing that and moving on with that was actually really formative in me just getting over that self-confidence issue, you know? That thing, yeah, that first compliment, crazy. I was just Mm. like, I just didn't think of much of it when I was curating it. Um, 
it was just like, oh yeah, I guess this is a cool idea. I can just put them on Bandcamp. It's not going to be lots of work. And then I got all the music back and I was like, hang on, just kidding. I'm servicing <laughs> the shit out of this. I'm spending hours of my life after work, like just making this the coolest thing possible. And I think it was really worth it. Like, I, I think so too. So and like, I'm, fun. I'm so appreciative of all you, all the work that you did for that because like that was a really special release for me. Yeah. Yeah. And the next one's coming soon. It's huge. Yeah. If you're listening up until now. Purient is on it, lead single, Ooh. Natalie Dawes, Posture as well, Glenn Stefani from Room 2 Radio, yes. Gwen Stefani, and then a big one that I don't want to reveal yet because it's just on the fence, but it rhymes with Camila, but we hopefully could get that over the line. Yes. Um, That's sounding epic. Yeah, it's huge. I don't, I don't, I'm just like, what do I do with all this good music? Um. <laughs> I guess we can't. We have to address the elephant in the room, Caitlin Medcalf. Yeah, let's can you guess it. what it is. I I can't. Please tell me. <laughs> oh, come on, it rhymes with Soila. Soila Schmoom. Schmoila Schmoom. How crazy was that an experience for you? All of that aside, um, I can't imagine like, and knowing you personally, I'm not saying that you didn't deserve it or anything, but if I was in that position, I would feel the maddest imposter syndrome. Like just by default, oh, yeah. how was it dealing with that? And how was that like initial offer getting sent through? Like, what was that first reaction of like? You know what? Like, it was really interesting because at the, so for context, I was like going for two jobs at that time. I was going for a full-time job at Spotify and a job at FBI as well. And I was actually at like a pretty low point in terms of, you know, trying to get a job and trying to like move forward in my career and I got really far in the Spotify job I got to the last round there was like four rounds it was so intense and I didn't get the job and I was I was pretty bummed about it and then I got through to like the second round for the FBI one and I didn't get that and I was kind of like at this kind of low point like oh what else what do I have to do to get a job you know like people are telling me I'm employable but I'm not getting a job and then so I was like oh maybe I should just you know hedge my bets and start thinking about something else and then like a week after I got rejected from the FBI job, I got a call from Seb saying, hey, we're booking this boiler room. Um, just so you know, like it's not locked in, but I've put your name forward. Um, haven't confirmed the lineup, but I'll keep you posted. And I was like, oh, okay, That's, this sounds cool. And then the next week he hit me up again and was like, yeah, you're locked in. I was like, okay, what the hell? Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I honestly did not expect it at all it came so out of the blue and like I'm very grateful to you know the finely tuned team for putting me on what I've always thought about like if I had a boiler room like not that I ever will even though I'm a DJ now have you noticed that I'm a freaking yeah congrats on your first mix I saw that (laughs) there's so many as well guys keep your eyes peeled for the mixes they're crazy (laughs) I'm going crazy um I always think about it like would I go super scientific or would it be relaxed how was it for you was it like were you like a scientists pouring potions like trying to prepare the set or was it supernatural for you okay to be honest like I was given a brief um for the boiler like I'll, I'll go on the record to say this I was given a brief for the boiler room um which I was a bit co- uncomfortable about at first because I was basically told to tone it down um and I yeah that brought up a lot of other questions but in saying that like I kind of repurposed that brief and I was like okay let's think about this as a challenge so I honestly prepared the first probably three quarters of my set. And then I was like, I'm going to go one of two ways. So I was like, I'm going to go, you know, a way that's a bit more hectic or a way that's a bit more chill just in case, you know, maybe someone goes rogue or whatever. And yeah. I should have honestly, in hindsight, I should have actually gone a bit harder because everyone just went rogue on the day. And I was a bit pissed off about that. But what can you do? But I think <laughs> how much harder could you have gone? Like you're playing some big, like yeah. brave, like chuggers. Like if that's not hard to you, what's hard to you? Like 140 plus just like full. I just wanted to go straight like 130 to 140. I didn't want to play any of the like house music that I played at the start. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed playing house music. But yeah, I traditionally would have liked to have gone a bit harder because I feel like that represents me as an artist more. Yeah. But honestly, I was just stoked to have the opportunity and I didn't really want to like ruffle any feathers too much yeah and it's still it still was very you I think as like someone from the outside looking in like the set was still so you thank you you thank you it was crazy and like probably my favorite set of the day 
thank you yeah I, I worked really hard on it and it's it's also been like really affirming looking at the YouTube comments as well because I feel like every time I look on a boiler room there's so many people like roasting the DJ but there's actually no bad comments it's all like really nice and positive and yeah I felt good about it awesome and like what was it like coming off that must have been like the way the easiest way I can like compute it in my mind is like when you come back from a really sick holiday yeah you yeah, just go totally. home and it's like oh it was just what? it was just weird like everything was weird like my phone was blowing up for like the next two or three days like it was it honestly was like the I've, I've said this before like it probably was the best moment of my life um oh. and I think one of the most like formative for me as well um so yeah it was like really hard coming into lockdown after you know I got I actually got quite a lot of bookings after that boiler room and it really changed a lot of things to me but I couldn't do any of that because of this lockdown how much do you think and like obviously the lockdown timing was like massive halt for your momentum yeah. how much of that do you think of that boiler room set do you take forward now as motivation like is it how much oh, is it driving all of it. Now? all of it because I think you know aside from the night I think I really proved to myself then that I can do that you know because I, I was going I think the, the imposter syndrome hit really hard going into it being like oh why am I on this lineup also why am I DJing before DJ boring that's pretty huge um because I really did think that I got the best slot that, that I could have got um so yeah it was kind of weird coming out of that but I feel like a better DJ for it and I'm yeah I feel a lot more confident now which I'm really grateful for definitely and like it's mm. <laughs> now you can say that you you DJ at the Ivy. Yeah, that's right? the craziest shit ever. That's insane. Ivy. Yeah. And you it did was, it like twice, didn't you? I was supposed to do it a second time, but that was the week that the lockdown started kicking in. Well, did that happen? Like, was it like the restrictions were announced like on the Sunday morning? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so the restriction came into effect the week after because that was my birthday weekend. I was supposed to DJ before that, but I think that was so that weekend before the lockdowns came into effect a lot of venues were like tentatively shutting like yeah, op, like true. um they were opting for it just to be yeah. responsible yeah that's so interesting yeah because yeah. i because i think i like i might get the timing wrong here but i think the night before was the velodrome through a francis inferno orchestra party yeah and yeah then- i'm pretty sure and then the next morning people were closing venues and then all the velodrome crew were like, oh, shit, have we done something wrong here? And it's like, well, you didn't break any laws or rules and it was a tiny party. So, like, yeah, it's that's fine. fine. But it's I like think your that's, Ivy. Yeah. That's the thing as well. I think there might be a bit of, like, a, a thing in our community where it's like, is it irresponsible to throw a party, like, after all this? And, like, it's going to be super interesting to see how that discourse around that, I think. Because I'm yeah. of the I'm of the more hardcore belief, not like in like a conservative right wing way. It's like we're vaccinated, the hospitals are sweet, let's go ham. Like yeah. don't worry about it, just forget it. But I think there's going to be a lot of like conversation about whether it's actually responsible to start throwing these, you know, three hundred person club nights. Like I don't know. But I think it's interesting. It's like who are we directing that conversation at? Because I feel like at the core of it, if you are going and getting vaccinated and you're making that choice, you're doing right by not only like the community in terms of like the health community and everyone at large, but you're also doing yourself a service. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I just, it just blows my mind that people don't want to go and get vaccinated. It really yeah. blows my mind because I just think it's so stupid. I'm sorry. I really think it is. Uh, here's a uh, controversial question. Yes. If you think that one community leader, if you had to pick one community leader to be anti-vax, it would it be? I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> what that I think would be anti-vax. <laughs> Craig Kelly, how many texts have you got from him? Oh, no, I'm talking about, like, niche Sydney dance community. Oh, right? oh no. This, you know what? This this pandemic has proved that you don't know anyone. I've Like, I've, I've seen so many DJs on Facebook that are all of a sudden epidemiologists, and it blows my mind. No, you know what it's done, though? And, like, this could be good or bad. I feel like it's really reaffirmed how much of a bubble that I'm in. Yeah, so In terms true. of my friends, my work, my everything. It's just, like... I see the world through this, like, and I assume that everyone has the same uniform view of, like, what the perspective of COVID is. And, like, my 90-person party group chat is, was race, like, literally racing to get vaxxed. Like, the first person to get double vax is, like, a massive achievement in that group chat. Yeah. Like, 
people aren't responding the same way that like the way I, I thought the world was responding. That makes sense. Oh, no I think way. that's one thing that the this lockdown has definitely taught me. I feel so disconnected from the real world yep. in terms of perspective and ideas and conversation. It's so true. I've seen a lot of people that I went to high school with um, who are like posting all this anti-vax stuff on Facebook and it blows my mind. But then I'm like, they live in like such, like I live in the middle of the city in the, you know, a very left part of the city. Um, and I forget that all these people live out in like rural areas or they live in like Western Sydney and they've, you know, they're in their own little bubbles. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's hard to like put yourself in someone else's shoes when you're just constantly surrounded by so many people who are like-minded. Yeah. Like identical people as well. Yeah, totally. And it's like, and like, we can do this from a funnier lens. It's like, I could literally go out with my best friend and we could wear the literally the exact same outfit. And it's <laughs> like, like okay. Planned. Yeah. Like me and Pat would be like, we have to ask each other, like, are you wearing a white t-shirt with the Carhartt painter pants with your Salomons? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh no. Come like, on, no, I have man. to change. <laughs> it's literally true. But like, it's, it's even like on that level of just like group think, which is. Yeah. Also really nice because, like, you have a massive group of people and you're all connected by just mutual tastes and cool shit, which is also pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I forget that there's people in our community that aren't like that too because I think on the wider scale, like, oh, just so many DJs who are talking yeah. about the wrong things. Like, I just forget those people exist because I personally don't choose to engage with them, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I forget that people don't wear Pam. Yeah, literally. It's the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> That makes me so sad. I forget that people DJ dubstep in tech and, house. No, people can. No, that's my biggest thing. If that, like, bro, in 20, no, in 2021, <laughs> stop it, man. Just stop. Just stop with the trap. Stop with that. I don't want to hear oh, it. No. If I have to go to a party and someone's playing trap, yeah. I'm leaving. I'm the yeah. first person out of there because you know why? Because, and this is like me sitting on a high horse, like we're better than them. But those, like, especially especially as well in, like, rock and like the rock and band scene, they're so whitewashed. They're so male-heavy. I just feel like, and this is, like, literally me standing on the horse being, like, you all suck. Oh, but, like, definitely. There's something so special about where Sydney dance is at in terms of diversity at the moment. Like, going forward, like, there's so much great things, like, to look forward to. And, like, I feel like that's the massive step ahead of our scene than any other scene. Oh, definitely. I think there's, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a more inclusive scene in Sydney, in Sydney music as a whole than, you know, our underground dance community. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But yeah, if I walk into your house party and someone's playing like Aura Grime, <laughs> it'll be me. <laughs> clear your hard drive. No, just delete the hard drive. <laughs> me and my housemate, it. the other day, we, we um, were DJing like, because we were just drinking and DJing in our house and we found um an old USB of mine that has like Ministry of Sound era electro and we were just going at it. It was great. That stuff's sick though. Yeah. Like I've been really listening to like Avicii like edits and like Nicky Romero and all those guys. That shit was crazy man. Dude it makes you feel so good. (laughs) It it makes me so emotional. Yeah literally. (laughs) It's such heavy music. Like like all like the old Zed stuff even like it's such it's so heavy. Like it's just like I was listening to Nero the other day. There's yes, that album. exact stuff. The good shit. Totally. It's like you know EDM before EDM was lame. You know what was super underrated, which I thought was really weird for me to like that new Porter Robinson album. I actually haven't listened to it yet, but I love him. But like there's literal like Andras level, like soundscapes yes. of like birds and like rivers flowing. And I was like, sick. has <laughs> has Porter Robinson been listening to Australian Ambient on the low? I love Oh, I love him. His his um side project, Virtual Self, is like still one of my top fives. Do you think he went hard enough with that though? Because I feel like he sort of almost teased being like, I'm gonna write some really hard, crazy music and sort of teased it with like build-ups and like periods, but he didn't go full like I'm damaging I, your ears, you know. I think the antidote to that was watching a DJ set of virtual selves. Okay. If you go on YouTube, people have filmed like I mean it's pretty shit quality, but like you go and watch the YouTube rip of an hour of him DJing and I feel like that will fulfill that okay, craving. Yeah. <laughs> <The> craving. <laughs> um I think just a couple of general questions to close the conversation. Yeah. Formally. Where do you think your taste is now, just generally in terms of dance music? Because I feel everyone's taste has sort of changed. So that's like, a good what, question. What do you think you're listening to just generally what are you listening to? What do you what do you listen to now and be like, oh 
this is this is for me at the moment yeah well in terms of dance music I haven't really been listening to a lot to be honest I've been going back to like albums that make me feel a certain way I've been going back to lots of Claro and lots of like Lord. Actually, yeah. I've been listening to like Claro Lord and Lana Del Rey pretty much on the rotation. Are you okay? No. <laughs> no, it's like, all right. I'm asking you personally, like, are you okay? Yeah. yeah, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's been actually really cathartic. I've been yeah. like riding a bit again as well, which has been really nice. But in terms of dance music, I think I'm just more interested in hard music. And I I know people who listen to harder music than me will be like, oh, okay, that's cute, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just interested in like 130 to 150, like really hard, ravey, um, real bassy. I've been going back to a lot of like big room techno as well. Pins and Pels, I really love their new EP. That's just real big room techno stuff yeah. that I've brothed so hard. Um, I've also been really loving Anne. She has like, she's getting ready to release a new EP. She's a producer from London. And she just released this single with like a pop singer and it's like this slamming electro like pop song. It's really so sick. sick. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I've also been trying to like listen to music um, from like a producer standpoint as well. I've been listening to lots of Fortet. I think that's a good place to start in terms of just trying to think of new production techniques and just really listening. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, um, I laugh because <laughs> I laugh because Deepa posted this story of like Skrillex Fortet and Jamie XX <laughs> doing back to back, and then I replied saying overrated. Oh. <laughs> and Deepa was like, "That's the most wrong take ever." And then I replied saying, "Okay, soft boy." <laughs> oh my but god, that's, that's super so inter- funny. <laughs> anyway, I'm not trashing them because they're pioneers. No, no, I fine. actually love them all. <laughs> but I just think it's funny. Like they're so easy to trash on. Anyway, yeah, I feel like. But the thing, interesting thing, I feel like my taste is like I feel like before lockdown, and maybe this is me growing up as a human being because I was 20 when like lockdown started, and now I'm like 22. Yeah. But I feel like I was going super like electro, like heavy, like 140. Like that was my taste. I used to crave it. But I feel like now, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or just general growth. It's like I sit somewhere between like 120 to 134, like max, just like bloopy house music. Yes. Like like almost everyone in Sydney, like right now anyway. Like just like, oh, Rosa Terenzi is the greatest DJ ever. True, (laughs) she is. That's everyone in Melbourne. (laughs) regardless or just like really good like spacey ambient music there's nothing like it it blows my mind it's the craziest thing Mm. it like I feel like I can listen to like really like deep emotional records like a Clara record or like um like a really nice Tyler song and like it doesn't touch me emotionally because I'm so obsessed with the music of like oh that chord progression is so nice and like that vocal so good and it's engineered so perfectly but like I listen to an ambient record and just like my entire life is just on pause like it just changed <laughs> like I just like I'm just like oh my god this is like the craziest thing ever and as it towards you the new body yeah. corp record album on um bedroom suck records listen to that it'll change your life everybody yes I'll do it um wow I don't even know how long we've been going for <laughs> we've just um, been shooting the shit i like this caitlin medcalf last formal question ask this to everyone i forget what you said the first time actually um but who do you think i should have on soon who do you think i'd, I'd be good at grilling right like around about now oh that is a good question i think in terms of important conversations to have i really think you should talk to emma crescendo yeah i would really love to see her on this podcast because i feel like she has a lot to say um that's really good, actually. That is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I also would really love to hear you talk to Nina Las Vegas. I know that's probably... Yeah, I've been getting like, that a lot. Yeah, like, I think, like, I'm not just saying this because I work for her, but I think she's probably one of the most interesting and, like, challenging people in electronic music at the moment. I want to have a conversation with someone that I don't want to say clash with. Yeah. But, like, just, like, that would offer a different opinion to, like, I don't know, clash was the entirely wrong word because I feel like a lot of the conversations I've had with dance artists and dance DJs, they've all come from either my personal friendship groups or someone that is a close mutual friend of mine or someone that, you know, I know we're going to be good friends with after the conversation. And that's not to say anything about Nina, but Nina's perspective is so different to mine or yours on like what works and what isn't. So I feel like that's where the most fruitful conversations come from. And I don't know if that sounded like me just saying me and Nina are going to have a debate. 
because that's not what I meant. <laughs> but like, I think I feel like just it's been very one perspective on what dance music is in Sydney Definitely. up until this point. So I think that'll be a good conversation. Yeah. And I think as well, like she's been in the industry, you know, way longer than someone like me. I think she often she would come to this with a lot more experience and also like a longer perception on this the scene and how it's changed. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting. And one epic thing as well is that she's invincible. Yes, literally. I'd, like, I'd love to I'd love to hear her opinion <laughs> on certain things that me or you couldn't actually talk about for yeah. our futures, but she's invincible, so she can say whatever she wants. Yeah, exactly. She'll, and she'll say it. She'll tell it like it is. I'm going to send that email right now. <laughs> Hello. Please do. Um, damn, Parry Talks. Caitlin Medcalf. Parry Talks. Do you train your calves? No, oh, I wish I... No, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I've really let the exercise... I've, I've been walking. Maybe that's training my calves, but... That is training your calves. Okay, then I walk. That's my sport. <laughs> you should train your med your middle calves in your purple <laughs> sneakers. Middle. That's it. I actually don't own purple sneakers. That's a question I got asked a lot. Do you get asked that a lot? No. Because I tell oh, people, I feel like I've got, anyway, we'll talk about this later. Yeah. Harry Talks, thanks Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate your time <laughs> once again. You're always welcome back, of course. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a nice chat. I needed this. Yay. Like the old clap. <laughs>